This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Good morning, everyone. Open your Bibles up to Nehemiah chapter 1. Just kidding. Look at you. Some of you all were like, again? Again. Yes, again. No, we are in John chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and be a nerd and turn there already or click on your phone. How many of you all, when you first became a Christian or when you were first interested in learning about Jesus, someone pointed you to the book of John first? They said, go to John, right? That's what happened to me too. They said, read John. So then I read the whole thing and I was like, man, that's exciting. You know, you got so many things in there. Uh, Then I got older and I went to Trinity and took a Bible class called New Testament Survey. And then we started to study the book of John. And I think the first verse, the professor spent the whole class on that one verse. And I was like, man, when I first read, I just read through the whole thing. I didn't know you were supposed to stop after that first verse. But what I found out as I got older is that John is incredibly theological and deep, isn't it? So we're going to get that opportunity to be part of a book that is very, very beloved and read by people when they first become believers or encouraged to, when people are interested. And in a way, there's some understanding there. And then... As we get older, we, get, we really get to start to pull out some of these theological truths. And so I put a quote up there from Augustine, and I don't know if this is exactly from Augustine, because it's like, you know how when quotes get quoted by other people and they put their name on it? So it's just been some craziness, but the quote says, and he's talking about the book of John, John is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. Isn't that neat? So we're going to be in a book that is very much on the surface level, it's a It's a nice read. It reads very well, but just know that it is definitely deep. And there are going to be times where the application is like, you know what? We just read about what God is, and that's the application. Like, God is all that, right? That's that's pretty much what we can do for you some days. And at other times, we'll get to see some direct application uh, from Jesus' life, okay? So I want to let you all know that John is different from the other Gospels, Uh, Here are some ways that he's different. The other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels, the See Together Gospels. They kind of have the same kind of formatting. Different things in there, but a lot of similar stories. But in John, we see 90% of what's in John is not in the other ones. Isn't Isn't that neat? So it's like a whole different point of view. Most scholars believe he wrote it probably afterwards or in light of what already had been written, so his is a little, bit, uh, a little bit different. One of the ways it's different is that the first three, most of the, teaching, um, most of the teaching and the writing that they did is talking about what Jesus did in Galilee, where John is really focused on what Jesus did in Jerusalem. Matthew speaks a lot about Abraham and shows how Jesus came from that line. Uh, Mark talks about how Jesus is from Nazareth, and Luke talks about how Jesus is the son of Adam right? But John talks about how Jesus is from heaven, heavenly. So this is like a heavenly-minded book, okay? 
The first three talk a lot about what Jesus taught and did, whereas John spends a lot of time more about who Jesus actually is, who he is, his essence. In John, we got three cool things. The seven signs. Does anyone know what the seven signs are? You can raise your hand, anybody? You don't have to name all of them. So the signs are seven miracles that John points out specifically. Uh, The first one will be coming up in a couple weeks. There's also the seven I am statements where Jesus himself uses that word I am. He uses that, which we know was only used by God in the Old Testament. Jesus has that use as well. And he also says seven things that he is. So that's really neat. And then uh, we have a lot of testimony witnesses. John puts up different people who testify as to who Jesus is, that Jesus is God, that Jesus came from heaven. And he wrote this so that people would know and that we'll come to believe. And he actually tells us that in, in chapter 20. So if you ever want to look at the purpose, he lays it out very, very clear. Some things about John, our author. How many of you all know he had a brother? They called him the sons of thunder. He had a brother named James. Uh, they do some crazy stuff in some of the books. They say some crazy things. Uh, we know that his mom, John's mom, was Salome. I think that's how you say her name. And she was one of the people that went to the tomb early in the morning of Jesus' resurrection day. Uh, one other thing, John's father was uh, Zebedee. And John was a partner in the fishing, fishing business with Peter. And so you see they're all kind of, you kind of see a little bit of his background. So what I want to do is set the context and say this. As we study John, what I want us to do is appreciate the simplicity of the book, but then think about those powerful depths of what he says about the amazing gospel. You see, John's gospel is revelation. It is a revealing. And it's kind of funny because John actually is the author of the book Revelation, but in a lot of ways you could call this book Revelation as well because <laughs> it's, re- it's a revealing of who Jesus is. So if I renamed it, that's what I would do, but I'm not the person, so. It's a revealing of Jesus amongst his people that are living in a darkened state. Jesus comes into, as a light, comes into a darkened world and he reveals. And we know that's what light does, right? What happens when you turn on the lights in your house? It reveals the mess or reveals that someone cleaned it up for you and now you're excited, right? So it reveals the state of how it was, okay? So one thing I want to mention, and I want to question you all is, so who, who is this light? Who is this person that he's going to reveal? And this first chapter is a prologue. It literally tells you what pretty much the whole book is about. And he gets straight to the point. It's a profound and and amazing prologue. And it introduces us to the major themes. So I want to praise God already in prayer. If you would pray with me. And I'm going to praise him already for what we're going to learn. We saw what he did with us in Nehemiah. One cool thing about this one as well is that we're going to have a church-wide fast that we're organizing at some part during this, this series. We're also looking at the way it's split up. We're going to be in John for probably close to a year. So this is going to be a time where we really get in depth and have the opportunity to really, really hear what God says through this. Very exciting. Pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this book. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and how you are going to join us together with it, Lord. We thank you for the enlightenment, for the revealing that's going to happen. 
We pray, Lord, that as most of us have a relationship with you, Lord, we pray that you would bring us to greater depths and understanding of who you are. Lord, we know how you've worked in our lives. Lord, a lot of us have read the book before. We pray that none of this stuff be old pat, that it would feel new, that it would feel that we need a greater understanding, that we would have a desire to pour over this book over and over, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity we're going to have to do a church-wide fast. We pray that you would bless us in that, that we would be obedient in doing that, that we would follow, that we would learn and do things together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to spend a good enough time in it, Lord. We're not going to speed through. We thank you for the opportunity to really dive in, Lord, and stay a while. So, God, we pray that you would bless our congregation, bless our church, bless everyone here, that as we study this book, Lord, that you would move us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It reads, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. My professor stopped right there, and we spent an hour on that. (laughs) He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In here it tells us that God was the Word. So at creation, the Word was there. Do you guys see that in the verse? It says, in the beginning was the Word. So where was the Word in the beginning? Already there. So what does that tell us about the Word? That the Word was not part of the creation. The Word was there pre-existing the creation. And it also tells us that, and notice that it's capitalized, the Word was with God and was God. How can that be? How can the Word be with God and God at the same time? Well, guys, let me introduce you to something called the Trinity. The only thing that makes sense here is Trinitarian thinking. You see, it's very, very important that it tells us that not only is he the eternal God, but he's also distinct from the eternal God. So think about that. He's God, and he's distinct from God. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus, the Word, was there at creation, and he was God, and he was with God, who is God the Father. So what do we see? We see two people in the Trinity. This is very, very important. One of the reasons why I want to bring it up right away, and I know some people are not too fond of people, you know, busting people out or saying something about other, other belief systems, but I really feel like there are certain doc- doctrines that me, myself, I'm willing to take a bullet for. Like, I'm willing, like, you're going to have to shoot me for me to think something different. I believe Scripture is totally clear on this. And so I want to just tell you all this with that mindset. Not to attack anyone, but in that mindset that this is one that you have to get right. If Jesus isn't God, what do we have here? Right? Good news building. That's about it. Okay? So, one thing that we see is a a misteaching, it's an incorrect teaching, it's error, is this idea of modalism. 
Some people believe that God existed as the Father at one point, and then at one point kind of transitioned into Jesus, and then now exists as the Holy Spirit. So we call that modalism. He existed like in three different modes. But what does the Bible tell us here very clearly? That there was God, and then there was the Word that was with God and was God. So we see the Trinity very clearly played out. So no, it's not that God became the Father. He was the Father, then he existed in another way, he existed another way. There's two distinct people here so far. By the way, if you're wondering where the Holy Spirit comes in, that's in about 30, 30 verses down. Okay, so that's coming. I know some of you say, well, it didn't say anything about the Holy Spirit. You got to keep reading. Got to keep reading. Another thing is uh, I put JWs. That stands for Jehovah Witnesses. You will have Jehovah Witness come to your door. And one of the first verses when you talk about your uh, belief in Jesus as God, they will take you to their uh, translation of the Bible. And in there, they have, a special, they have a word there. Does anyone know what the word they put in there? It's a really small word. It's the word A, right? So it'll say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was a God. So what do they try to say? He's like a lesser God, not really God, not God, not the real God. And that's a huge, huge mistake. By the way, if you do research on any Greek scholar, no Greek scholar would, uh, of note would, would, would agree with that translation of it. It just does not, does not say that. Okay? It actually better reads, God was the word. Isn't that weird? I know ours is written, you know, the word was with God, the word was God. But that last part, actually, the, the, better, the better way that it, that it sounds in the Greek is actually God was the, God was the word. And then the last one is, we're not talking about all Pentecostals here, but there is a strand of Pentecostals called Oneness Pentecostals who believe in modalism, and that's part of what they believe about Jesus. So what they would say is that at one point God existed as the Father, then he existed as Jesus, and now he exists as the Holy Spirit. So that's what the Oneness Pentecostals believe in. I would treat any of these groups as people who need evangelism. So not, not people that need argumentation, not people that need to be yelled at or criticized, but people who need to be evangelized. Uh, they need to understand who Jesus really is. And John points that, paints that picture pretty clear here. So the uncreated being, God the Word, was there and existed with God. Jesus preexisted. John starts this, for, he starts it this way for the rest of the book. By stating that Jesus is the Word and the Word is God. Jesus preexisted everyone and everything. And I apologize, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading because I really want to make sure my wording is right today. The Word, who is none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was already in existence when God created everything. Why would John want to keep, make sure we understand this? Because he testified to that. He saw that. And he said, this is so important. I can imagine him being so happy to just say, guys, he really was God. That's what he's trying to tell us. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. How many of you all think the wording there is a little different there? Huh? Like that word anything is not together. It says anything so what does that mean? Well, let's look at Hebrews. Let me read to you Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. It says, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, talking about Jesus, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Without him was not anything that made that was made. So what is that saying? That through Jesus, the creation was created. And that, and the way it's worded, how does it, let me say it again, was not anything made that was made. What that means is not one thing. Not one thing was made. One thing that is made was not made by Jesus. He is deity. He is God. It's very clear. Verse 4 says, in him was life. He didn't get life from someone else. In him was actual life and light. Nobody gave him life. Now, this starts to get you in places you can't, people can't escape from places like this. You start thinking about God being eternal and being eternally alive. Never, never, never a moment did he not exist. And that's some of that deep thought that you really start to get into. And then I wanted to thank Pastor Kerry because he named his daughter Zoe. And I want you all to know that that word Zoe is the word being brought up here for life. And what it means is spiritual life, like the life principle, existence, the reality of life. So this is a massive statement. He's saying not only is Jesus God, Jesus is indeed life. He's the fundamental reality of everything that exists. It's in him that we move and have our being, have our existence. Everything that exists, exists because they have life from him. He is life. Verse 5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, it isn't that the, the word contains everything. He is life and light. It's that Jesus is the light for darkened people. He is the one that reveals. He is the one that, that reveals. And there is a word here where it kind of talks about, it says, and the darkness has not overcome it. And really what that means is the darkness doesn't really comprehend it. They don't get this. They don't get this. So... What's the application to some of this part right here? Well, very simply, the belief that Jesus is God is the application. Now, what you believe is actually and often shown in your actions. So your actions, the way you work, the way you live your life, the way you choose to buy what you buy, what you wear, everything, is it based on the ultimate truth that Jesus is God? That's what this is about. Because he's God, because everything was made through him, what does that mean? He, as your Savior, if he is your Savior, he gets to guide you. He gets to create new things in you, things that may not be in your comfort zone. Guys, I was a math teacher for 20 years. They got me up here preaching from the Bible. I was a math teacher for 20 years with sixth graders. I'm a lot more silly than I am up here. I need to be, right? I needed to be. He has the right to command you. He has the right to command you. Because some of us look at the commands as swipe. <laughs> nope, not that one, not today, not that one. We'll take this one, right? But he has the right to command you. And ultimately, because of who he is, he has the ultimate ability to save you. So when we fail in those things, he is the one who can save us. Turn with me to verses 6 through 9. I'm going to be introduced to another key character in this book, John the Baptist. 
who is not John, the, the disciple who wrote it. It reads, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. I'm sorry, I lost my place. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the John being spoke about here is John the Baptist. And these verses tell us what about John? First, that he was sent from God. He was sent from God. He was like born for this task, born for this. Another thing is that he bear witnesses, he bears witness about the light. See, the work of John the Baptist was deliberately focused on bringing people to faith in Jesus the Messiah. That was his job. That was his being. That's what he was there for. And then he was to prepare the way. He was to be a forerunner, to set the tone that Jesus the Messiah is coming. And John the Baptist, I don't know if you all realize when you read it, he was actually remarkably pretty efficient. You guys notice that even when, like, when Jesus starts doing amazing things, who do they compare him to? To John the Baptist. They said, are, you know, John's disciples versus Jesus' disciples, right? <laughs> so John the Baptist was widely known. And it was important for the gospel that John, it was important for John the gospel writer, to make it clear that John the Baptist was not the light, but that he pointed others and revealed who was going to be the true light. So if you think about it, a better name maybe for John the Baptist could have been John the witness. John the witness. John the witness to, to the light. I don't know what happened with this sermon, but I'm trying to rename everything. Sorry about that, guys. Sorry about that. Let's look at verse 9. The word gives light to everyone, but not in the ultimate saving sense. So just because it was revealed doesn't mean everyone gets saved, right? John meant that the reason why anyone is born into a world without any love or care or goodness at all is because of the true light and the light that God gives to the world. The light gives the essence that we can have these things, the opportunity. So John is someone, John the Baptist is someone we're going to hear more about. And the one thing really neat about him is he was, he was a human. And notice that he was born for a reason and that he actually lived that out. He was born for a reason. He lived that out. He is a great model for us. See, God used John the Baptist to point many to Jesus, the light of the world. And whatever light we know or whatever we know about the light, similar to John, we need to point people to that light. Now, when John was born, does anyone remember how old his parents were? Remember, his parents were old, right? They weren't supposed to have John. So John was born to these supposedly barren parents, and this man's birth was actually announced by an angel. Later, Jesus, Jesus basically calls him one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest to ever be alive. He was a witness to the light. All true ministers are sent from God to declare the true witness and testimony concerning the light, concerning Jesus, who alone dispels the darkness. So similar to John, in a different way, God has enlightened us with the purpose that we bear witness and we have the opportunity to reveal who Jesus is to others. John is a great example of that. And he does it even to the point of, even to the point of death, Right? Turn with me for our last chunk in John 1, verses 10 through 18. 
It reads, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm actually going to stop there. So what does this prologue continue to say? It starts with John, it continues with John explaining that Jesus was actually rejected. It's pretty astounding when you think about it, it says everything was made through him, he's the light, all this goodness of life comes through him. But what, what, what happened to Jesus? He was rejected. He was in the world. He was, he, he, he was in the world that he made. He was here for how long? He gave people time, didn't he? How long was he there? For 30-something years, 33 years. He was there for a while. It's not like it was a quick visit. He was there. But we know that the people, they had him in his neighborhood, and the first time he tried to come back to the neighborhood, they tried to kill him for what he was preaching about. For three years, he ministered in the land of Israel. He healed people. He banished demons. What else did he do? He fed. He fed people. Rose people from the dead. He demonstrated his creative power. He gave people limbs. He gave people sight. Think about all these things he did. And he was rejected. I think this has to be one of the craziest things about us as people. We had God himself come here and did all of these things and lived the perfect life. And what was the answer from the world at that time? And what is the answer in a way from our world? Rejection. And if you don't believe that people and men and women and even children are naturally evil, this truth should just spill out all over the pages to you. He actually came. He lived here. He did what he was supposed to do. He did all these amazing things. Still rejection. Still rejection. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to the people of God. He was around Israel. The one that all the one that all the opportunity they had all the opportunities, but all it really showed was the depravity, the depravity, the sin nature of the people that were there at that time when Jesus came. Verses 12 to 13 tell us that just because he was rejected, was the plan of God rejected? Was it stopped? Was it thwarted? No. The world's rejection, Israel's rejection. Did not stop it. What does it mean to receive him? Notice that some people rejected him, but what happens to the people that do receive him? They get to become children of God. Children of God. So there's some people that, do, that did not reject him. So as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, to believe in his name is to receive him, and to receive him is to believe in his name. To believe in his name is to believe in what his name means and all that God Jesus is. There will be some who will believe, but in a small, powerful way, God takes that belief 
and he receives you. Isn't that amazing? He gives us the privilege, the honor to become children of God. How many of you know if you grew up with rough parents, that means a lot to, to people like that, right? How many of you all know that even if you grow up with the best parents, to be children of God means so much more? So those who did not re- do not receive Jesus, they were not born to. And those who have, they're born again to regenerate. It's the only way it happens is that you will be regenerated, that you will become anew to be with Jesus. Let's look at verses 14 and 18. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 1.14 could be in the conversation for the greatest verse of all time. (laughs) I have to say that like a boxing announcer. Of all time. The word became flesh. This is the central truth of Christianity. This is the central truth of Good News Bible Church. That Jesus did not, God did not stay afar and leave us in our helpless state. That he actually invades. He comes in to our world. Christmas, right? He comes into our world. The eternal word became human. That's what it means. The eternal word became human, the God-man, the eternal God who is pure eternal being became human. Now you think about how God, how God at times, which would would, kind of show up or he would show his power in all those New Testament stories we read. But now we see this ultimate display where God himself actually comes into the world. He used other people. He used prophets. He used other prophets to tell that what was coming, right? To say the word. But now you got God himself who's saying the very words from himself. Yep. His human nature did not overpower his deity. And if you think about it, he was what we call 100% man and 100% 100% God. You see, the Word became flesh. And one of the things that the Word, when the Word became flesh, what did it show us about God? It showed us God's glory. Listen to me as I read from Colossians 1, where this is beautifully illustrated. And by the way, when it says he became flesh, that word there is tabernacled. Like he pitched his tent with us. He moved it to the, he moved it to the neighborhood. He moved in. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We're talking about glory here. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So John could say it this way. We saw his love. We saw his mercy. We saw his wisdom. We saw his knowledge, God's power. We saw his justice, his holiness, his omnipotence. We saw him sometimes display righteous anger. We saw his kindness. What they got to see is they got to see God's glory in in bodily form. Just amazing. And I really love that they wrote about it. And they wrote about it so well. And we still have it. And we get to have that. But I could just imagine being John and having that opportunity to have witnessed it and, and been there for most of it. Also tells us that when the word became flesh, we got to see God's grace and truth. Full of grace, full of truth. Not half measures, not fractional, not incomplete, full of it. So they had that great example, the ultimate example. And notice that grace and truth, they kind of have to be together because the only way that you can experience grace is by believing what? The truth. They have to be together. They go together. So John says, we have experienced who he is. He is from the Father. That's his essential being. We've also experienced, they also experience his glory through his grace and truth, manifested in the works and the words that he lived out in his life. Verse 16 has this phrase, grace upon grace, or grace in the place of grace. That's what it is. It's just endless, a non-diminished supply over and over of grace in the place of grace. There's never any diminishing of of the grace. And the last thing, verse 18. One thing I want to point out about that verse is that Jesus exegetes or sheds light on God. If you want to know about God, Jesus defined God. He displayed God's glory. He displayed the grace, and he defines what we need to think about when we think about God. So in closing, how do we apply some of this stuff, some of these truths, some of this theology? The first thing I want to say is, and I want to challenge everybody, is I hear people say something, And I know they they don't mean it the way they say it, but you'll hear people say, well, I don't really do that theology thing. You know, I just kind of live my life and I pray a lot and, you know, God kind of tells me some things and, you know, I'm obedient and I listen in church. And I, I, I really think that sometimes when people say that, as they say, you know, maybe maybe they don't feel too confident in jumping into the scriptures and things like that. And you guys going to see when we have our meeting afterwards, we're going to talk about how do we get everyone to feel like, you know, Bible intake is something that we all do, that we're always either reading, listening, writing about it, journaling, right? Uh, Where we all feel that way. Because sometimes we feel like theology and big truths and big words are almost like for certain other people. And so what I want to tell you is that it is definitely for you. Some of these things that jump out, 
Some of these deeper truths, when you search them, they bring you to a new level of learning and appreciation for the, for the truths that you probably believe in, in some level, but then you get to go to deeper levels and deeper levels of what that really means. So I want to challenge everyone to, you know, not say that phrase, well, you know, I don't, I don't really do theology. I just kind of, you know, I read a little bit. I do my devotional and whatever it says. But you can, you can learn. I believe that when, if you laid all these different types of babies in front of us and we asked which baby is the smartest, it has a lot to do with the work ethic and the upbringing of that baby. And some of you all, you are now in charge of your upbringing and you're in charge of your learning. So I 100% fully believe anyone can here can learn anything. There is a ramp to understanding deeper truths. So that's one thing that I wanted to jump out and say. One thing we want us to consider. How many of you all heard this song from Kerry Job? It says, love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours. I am forever yours. What does that truth of God coming down mean? How does that impact your life? The greatness of Jesus descending. Think about it. He descended from his place to be among us and provide a way of salvation. Is it good news? Is it good news to you? Because some of us treat it like it's good information. We're like, thank you for that fun fact. It's not a fun fact. It's good news. It's news that should bring an appreciation every day and a love, you know. I get excited when I wake up Sunday morning. I'm like, man, I'm going to get to sing. I'm going to get to be with other Christians. Like, I'm really into, like, church. Like, I would like to go to multiple church services if I had the time, right? Uh, this idea, though that this is the good news. It should be celebratory, you know? When someone reads all facts, no one really starts clapping. When, when it's, here's this good news. Like when Betsy came up here, everybody was excited. She didn't even say anything. Y'all were smiling, so right? That's what, that's what news means, you know? Unless you all want, me to, want us to change the name to Good Information Bible Church, I guess we could do that too. But we should be living our life as if it's good news, not good information, okay? I want to read this quote by Spurgeon. He says, If God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, let us pitch our tents around it. This central tabernacle, do not let us live as if God were a long way off. If he actually came and you're saved because of that, do not live as if he's a long way off, hanging out on the south side or something. He's like right here. He probably is over there too. Okay, last one. Last application. We are like John. We have the opportunity in a different way, but we have an opportunity to consider God's grace, God's grace to his people, how it's been continuous, God's grace to us, how it hasn't been exhausted. Grace knows no interruption and no limit. Jesus, the word, is the perfect, perfect declaration of the unseen God the Father and the Son who belong to the same family. And Jesus has given us the opportunity to see the unseen before unseen God. So we don't have to wonder about who God is or what's his nature or personality. Jesus has revealed that to us. So then the question is, and the famous philosopher Francis Schaeffer asks all the time, and it's something we should ask ourselves all the time, with this truth, how should we then live? How should we then live? And it's one of the questions you need to ask yourself every morning because we can get a repetition of acting as if Jesus did not reveal the Father, that God is a long way off. So I challenge you all to ask that question. 
how should we then live? We can have the worship team come up. We're going to pray. We're also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you would pray with me. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, we thank you so much for, for just coming, Lord, for being here, for being on this earth, Lord, for condescending, for coming down to rescue, to save, to show, to give us the ability to know the Father. Lord, we thank you that in you is, there is life and light and truth and the ability to move. And Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. And as we jump into this book together, we pray that you would encourage us to love each other more and more, that you encourage us to be more like John the Baptist and tell everyone what we know, to just share any little piece that we know, Lord. Help us not to be silent of something so amazing, Lord. But we pray that you would help have us to act like Christmas more often, Lord. Lord, be with us. And as we approach the communion table and the Lord's Supper, Lord. I pray that you would help us to deal with anything we need to deal with, Lord, that's causing us to treat you or act as if you are far away, Lord, when you yourself came. So we thank you for that testimony from John. Lord, be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewsshy.org.